This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome, friends. You're listening to Loving Animals on Pet Life Radio, and I'm your host, Dr. Robin Gansert. This week, we're revisiting one of my favorite episodes, an interview with Brandon McMillan, the host of the hit CBS show, Lucky Dog. As an animal trainer, Brandon's mission is to rescue hard-to-love dogs from shelters and transform them into well-behaved, lovable animals ready for their forever-loving home. Brandon gives us tips on training our own pets and shares how he knew he wanted to work with animals to change their lives. After this quick break, we'll hear from Brandon, so don't go away. You're listening to Loving Animals on Pet Life Radio. Hey, cat people. Litter box smells always on your mind. Think about your cat, not the box, with World's Best Cat Litter, the litter that delivers big odor control in a tiny package. World's Best Cat Litter harnesses the concentrated power of corn to trap odors deep inside the litter. Ready to knock out smells and use less litter? Find World's Best Cat Litter at Target, Walmart, and in your local grocery and pet stores. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Loving Animals. This week's episode is featuring one of my dearest friends and some incredible animal lover, Brandon McMillan. Brandon, as you know, is the Emmy Award-winning TV presenter, animal trainer, behaviorist, host of Lucky Dog on CBS. And I have to tell you, Brandon, you're one of my top, top, top animal lovers out there. I know what you do for animals. I know how you've changed lives. And I particularly love what you do with Service Dog as well. Welcome to Loving Animals, Brandon. Well, that was the uh, the best intro ever, <laughs> and I one hundred percent feel the same mutually about you. Oh. I've always loved you, Robin. Oh well, thank you, Brandon. That's so sweet. And I just have to tell you, you know, last time you and I talked, we talked a lot about service dogs, and I know that uh, I'd love to hear from you what you've got going on with service dogs now. Service dogs to me have always it's just been a passion project. In fact, um, service dogs are the are the reason I quit uh, training animals for the movies. I trained animals for the movies for about 15 years, and of course, uh, American Humane Association, mm-hmm. they oversaw my work the end for all my career. But I found that at around 2010, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't getting the same fulfillment that I had in that industry that I had when I was a teenager when I started. So by chance of luck, a friend of mine, his buddy was hit by an IED in Afghanistan. And it took off both of his legs, and mm. he uh, was relearning to walk again on prosthetics. And so he called me up and said, do you train service dogs? And I said, well, technically I don't, but I know how to train the tasks that service dogs do because in reality, the stuff that I was training dogs to do in the movies and on, on TV shows and stuff like that, it technically it's, it's actual service dog category because I was teaching dogs to, you know, open fridges, grab the beer, bring it to the guy on the couch. And mm-hmm. suddenly the light bulb went off in my head. I said, you mean I can actually train dogs to actually help people and potentially save their lives? And so once I did my first one in uh, 2011, I literally quit the industry, the uh, training animals for the movies the next day. And, and that was where my passion relit a fire uh, in, my, in my stomach about, you know, training animals. And so 
I quit the movie industry and I, I started training service dogs for disabled people and, and I haven't stopped ever since. Wow. So it's not just for wounded warriors, it's for people with a whole host of disabilities. Is that right? Exactly. Um, the original, my foundation actually, Argus Service Dogs, we, that's what our mission statement is. We train, we train service dogs for disabled veterans. However, I train service dogs for all walks of life, whether it's uh, a diabetes or, uh, believe it or not, I train a lot of dogs for autistic kids because dogs have shown uh, huge, huge benefits for uh, children with autism. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, some of the, uh, some of the best episodes uh, of, of my show, Lucky Dog, have been uh, service dogs for autistic kids. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. And there's when a child lights up, you know, a child that's been in his own world, when he sees that dog, uh, I've seen life change, and I've seen the entire family change. I'm sure you have, too. Now, nothing more beautiful than that. Exactly. And the best part is whenever I get the uh, I get reports from the people that have my service dogs all over the country, and, you know, the, the funny part is whenever I train them, that is actually, that's the, almost the dawn of the dog's uh, career. The dog is actually not nowhere near as well trained as what the dog will be in two or three years from now. So the, so the best way I can give you the example of how that works is, let's say if, you're, um, if you train in martial arts, if you took, uh, let's just say, kickboxing for one year and you trained every day, you're going to be pretty good after one year. Mm-hmm. But if I sent you off and said, okay, now continue training year after year, if you come back to me in five years, that training that you took in that first year, that was nowhere near of what you will be in five years. So five years later, you're, you're 10 times better. And that's exactly what happens with these service dogs. I get them to the point where they're passable, where they are assisting the people to the point where I know that, that I can send them off now and do their job. Three or four years later, I get the reports. And they're like, the dog is doing it 10 times better than when you train them. And that's exactly what I want to hear because that's the way it should be. Because the dog is now conditioned year after year. Muscle memory has just, has just taken effect of the dog to the point where the dog, it's like a second language now. The dog doesn't even have to think about it. The dog is working for the person as a lifestyle now, not because the dog is being commanded to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, you've got a story on your, your website, canineminded.com, by the way, for our listeners. You must go to canineminded.com and pull up the service dog tab. That's your Argus Service Dog Foundation. You have a story of Tyler Jeffries and Apollo. Can you share with us a little bit about Tyler and Apollo? Yeah, um, he was, uh, he's the guy that I was, uh, just telling you about a mm-hmm. few minutes ago. He was, he was the first veteran that I, I trained a service dog ever for. And that's why I, I put him on my website. So he was hit by an IED in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Both legs were completely taken off. He's what's called, um, an AKBK. And that means above the knee sever and below the knee sever. Mm-hmm. And so when you have an, when you have an amputation above the knee, you don't realize how how important that knee is until you're missing it. And so I had to teach the dog to literally become a cane or um, almost like a, a stairway pole to this young man because when he's walking on prosthetics, those prosthetics, as advanced as they are, they're still very primitive. And so he gets tired and he gets wobbly and, and off balance all the time. And that dog, he knows when he hears that word brace, that dog will stiffen his body up. And Tyler can literally lean a good portion of his weight on the dog's shoulders. And by the way, this is a Doberman Pinscher. It weighs about 115 pounds. That is a big animal. Mm-hmm. And, can, and as we know Dobies, they're, they're a working dog. Mm-hmm. And they love, they love to work. So this dog is perfect for him. So whenever he drops things, the dog will pick it up. Because again, when you don't have knees, you can't sit there and simply bend over and, and bend your knees and pick something up. So 
the dog will simply pick up his keys, his sunglasses. It'll also pull his wheelchair. It's a full physical assist service dog. And that's why I love uh, displaying him on my, on my website because that's the dog that really started all this off. Uh, Tyler and Apollo, they were kind of my, uh, they were kind of my inspiration. And to this day, they, they still are. That's wonderful, and I hope everyone goes to your website and sees the photos. The photos are amazing, and I'm also seeing videos on ArgusServiceDogs.org of Tyler on the stairs and Apollo retrieving and just amazing videos that you have featured there as well. Why did you choose the name Argus? Because, you know, I used to have a dog named Argus, so I just have to ask you that. Argus, okay, believe it or not, Argus is a, uh, it's a story about, um, about a dog and a, um, and a soldier. A soldier went to war. He uh, came back uh, disfigured from war, and nobody from his hometown recognized him but his dog. Mm-hmm. His dog recognized him because dogs, they, they don't rely on the same sense as we do. So in other words, if I recognize you, instantly I go to my eyesight, and I say, oh, that's Robin. I know her. Mm-hmm. The dogs, they, they go for um, their other senses. They go for their sense of smell. Mm-hmm. And so in other words, the, the dog recognized his handler, his owner, from the other senses, not what he looked like, but he can smell him, he could feel him, and so he uses other senses to identify who his father was. Wonderful. And that's the Greek myth, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's why we named uh, one of our Weimaraners Argus, just a, a beautiful dog and uh, and a great, great story. I love that you've applied that to the naming of your service dog program and foundation. And I also see you take donations on the site, so give a plug to our listeners so they can donate today to this great work. We'll not say no to donations. Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. And certainly I know you need the funds to continue doing this great work at the Argus Service Dog Foundation. So friends, do look that up. You can find more at canineminded.com and also argusservicedogs.org. So two great sites to learn more about this very important program, Brandon, that you've created. Brandon, you talked at the very beginning as we opened about in 2010, you changed paths and, uh, and you realized that the service dog program was meaning so much to you. And you started out as an animal trainer of all different species for the movies, which is so fascinating. And then you brought that into your work with Lucky Dog and, uh, and animals. Talk to us at the very beginning. When did you know that you were so in love with animals that you wanted to train them and work with them? You know, honestly, I've gone back and forth my entire career. So I was born and raised in the animal training industry. My mm-hmm. my entire family, of course, they were um, they were animal trainers in the circus, mm-hmm. and so I was born with that in my blood. We were we were animal trainers. It's been passed down through us. My father and uncle they learned off a off a very famous lion tamer from Germany called Gunther Gable Williams. Oh. So this has been passed. Yeah, so if you Google him, you'll, you'll realize who he is. And so we have a lineage of animal training through our, uh, our family. And so now the lineage has been passed down to me. I'm the third generation at, the, at this point. And I was like your typical rebellious kid. I'm, I never train animals, but of course I had to do it when I was a kid because it was a family business. <laughs> right. And uh, that's why I rebelled because, you know, when you're, it's a family business. I had to wake up. I had to, you know, take care of the animals. I had to clean the cages. And so, of course, I rebelled. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until it wasn't until I was in my uh, about early mid twenties, and I was traveling the world. I when I was twenty years old, I didn't see America for years because I was in every country across the planet because I was training 
for movies and documentaries. And that's when I started falling in love with it because I realized there's a big world out there and there were so many cool things to see. Look, traveling is the best teacher. It's better than any book. It's better than any video documentary or anything you're ever going to find on the internet because traveling will teach you experience. And that's what I got out of it. And so that's when I started falling in love with it all because the things that I learned, the things that I saw, the things that I was taught in my early 20s, that's what made me fall in love with animals. Animals saved my life. I got into a lot of trouble when I was in my late teen years. When I was in my early 20s, I was your typical young 20-something. I was an idiot, just like every other <laughs> out there. And, but animals, they always got me out of trouble because I always had that, that foundation, that job, and they saved my life in a sense. And wow. guess what? My later career, I just returned the favor. Oh, it's beautiful. You know, I remember Gunther Gable Williams as the lion tamer and trainer in the circus. And, and I even met the circus elephant, Gunther, at the uh, Center for Elephant Conservation in his retirement. And I thought about he was named for the lion trainer. So I've got a photo of Gunther the elephant named in honor of Gunther Gable Williams. So it's kind of a small world, but he certainly did, uh, I think, impact a lot of us uh, seeing those majestic creatures and, and all way back when. Exactly. You know, and I, I, I owe a lot of things. I mean, of course, Gunther, he uh, rests his soul. He's, he uh, passed away years ago. But mm-hmm. I give a lot of, of credit for him taking on, you know, my family and showing us what he would, was doing back in the 1950s. And so he, he passed the lineage on. Mm-hmm. And so he passed it on to my father and my uncle. And my father and uncle, in turn, passed the lineage on to me. And, you know, and let me just go on record to say Gunther was very tough on my father and my uncle. My father and uncle were very tough on me because when you're dealing with animals on that caliber, there's one rule that I was taught as a kid. You can't make a mistake because Mm -hmm. when you do, someone has a really bad day. That's right. Or it may be their last day, right? I mean, these are, after all, wild animals. Exactly. And Mm -hmm. so it's it's our responsibility to, you know, be taught correctly. And in turn, I will one day pass the lineage on to somebody else and make sure I will be very tough on them because, again, the things that I will teach you is going to potentially going to save your life. But more importantly, it's going to save an animal's life. It's fantastic. What a great message. And three generations of animal training, too. And I don't think I've ever met anyone with three generations. It's stunning, Brandon, to think about uh, all of those stories that you all have shared over all holiday meals, I can just imagine <laughs> what the stories have been like. <laughs> I would love to be a fly on the wall as you have your family reunions just talking about animals that have interacted and been part of your journeys through three generations. Well, I, I, I truly believe when it comes to animal training, you have to have the lineage. You have to learn from somebody who has been taught the education properly from somebody else. That's proper education in any industry, whether you're a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant. You have to learn from somebody else. You can't learn on the job. And what I find time and again, this day mm-hmm. and age, mm-hmm. are I ask people, I say, where did you learn how to train animals or where did you learn how to train dogs specifically? And they say they're self-taught. And I said, well, okay, it's a good, you're self-taught. But always remember, when you're self-taught, that means the person you learn from knew nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. And this is why I try to really sink it in, in people's heads. I'm like, self-taught is not always a good thing. You have to learn. You have to, you have to take that lineage and get it passed on to you. I still, to this day, I still train under master trainers. Mm-hmm. In fact, my, um, my partner in my foundation, he's a bomb dog uh, trainer. Mm-hmm. He trains dogs for military and law enforcement. Mm-hmm. He's old school. He's in his 60s now. Mm-hmm. I still, to this day, I train under him. And the reason I train under him is because I don't want to stop learning. I'm not self-taught. I don't want to teach myself anything in this industry. I want to learn from the best who have been proven for years. And 
at that point, when I'm 60 years old, then I can start teaching somebody else. But that's why I think it's so important to learn from somebody else because they're the ones who learn from somebody else. It's a lineage. It's an education process. Being self-taught, that's not a good thing in animal training because what you're doing is you're guinea pigging the animals. You're testing out the animals. How many animals are you going to have to screw up before you get it right? That's my question. Wow. And that's so, so important because particularly with dog trainers and, and service dog training organizations too, which I'd like to talk to you about uh, after we get through this commercial break. But I want to ask you before we go into the commercial break, Brandon, I know you've had Gunther Gable Williams, you know, associated with your family. What do you think about the recent decision that the failed family made with uh, retiring the circus elephants? And now, of course, the circus is closed down for good. Do you think kiddos are going to miss yeah. those elephants? You know, yeah, I'm on the fence about it because, look, as, as I'll just, I'll be honest. As time has gone on, I've changed my opinion, changed my views. Maybe animals should not be held in captivity. Now, having said that, when you know what I know and what you've seen, what I've seen, it's not black and white. A lot of people don't realize that probably in the next uh, 20 to 50 years, there's a lot of animals. The only place you will be able to see them is in captivity mm-hmm. because of poaching and land encroachment. Mm-hmm. And this is what the average person doesn't understand about places like uh, like zoos and, and, and rescues and stuff like that. Because trust me, when, when I'm a grandfather, mm-hmm. there will be some animals in the wild that will, will be pretty much extinct because we can't stop it. That's right. That's right. Land Just... encroachment is happening all around us. And you can't sit there and tell a farmer in Africa, let's give up your land because the lions have to live or the elephants need a place to roam. It's... Their family has to eat. So when you tell somebody in Africa, your family is not, is not as important as the elephants roaming here, guess what? They're going to choose their family over the elephants. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening every day all over the world. So true. So true, Brandon. Well, we're going to come back right after this commercial break and, and switch gears for a moment. I'd love to visit with you about Lucky Dog and, uh, and also more about service dogs and the ideas that you can't self-train. You can't be self-taught. You, uh, having a master trainer is the way we uh, will interact better with animals and have better outcomes. So stay with us, listeners. We'll be right back after this break with Brandon McMillan. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Dynavite for life. Pick up two tubes of Dogosuds. Get the third tube free. Peppermint, tea tree, lavender, Dogosud shampoo. Made with all-natural coconut, jojoba, aloe. Great for healthy skin and soft, shiny coats. But no itchy, harsh chemicals. Lather up, rinse away. Try Dogosuds. Buy two, get one free. At Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Well, welcome back to Loving Animals with our very special guest, Brandon McMillan. Brandon, right before the commercial break, we were talking about the sixth mass extinction where the animals that we have on the earth today won't be with us 20 to 30 years from now. In fact, there are studies showing and research uh, being done that estimates 60, 70, maybe even 80 percent of the animals on earth today won't be there in our children's lifetime. That to me is scary. I mean, oh my. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, this is stuff that I was reading about and hearing about when I was a little, little kid. Look, I've had one job my entire life. It's been animal training. And with that, you have, to learn, you have to learn animal behavior and environment and habitat and what is happening to them 
and what will happen to them. You have to almost see the future, and the future is very easy to predict, especially now we have we have reliable data to go off from past into the present. So when I was a kid, if you look at the charts of, of land, let's just take Africa, for example, because that's some of the most identifiable animals that we all know and love. If you look at the, uh, the map of Africa back in the 1950s, and you see what humans, you know, where humans were and where animals roamed and, you know, how, how little of an area humans actually took over back then, you're like, oh, the animals had it made. Well, guess what? As time's gone on, more humans are out there, and right. they're buying up more land. And in Af- places like Africa, farmland, it's gold. Mm-hmm. So you can't, tell, you can't tell a farmer, which is like one of the most common jobs in Africa, you can't tell a farmer, oh, we're going to take all your land and you have to you know, hike three days into a major city just to get your groceries. Farmland is how they live. That's how they survive. Now, when you have a farmland, let's say if you have 50 acres, guess what? Mm-hmm. You have crops. And you have cows and you have goats. Those are your three main uh, sources of, of farming survival. Well, guess what? Crops are eaten by zebra. They're eaten by gazelle. They're eaten by wildebeest. Mm-hmm. Automatically, there's a con- then now there's a conflict. Mm-hmm. And you have cows. You have goats. What eats cows? What eats goats? Lions. Mm-hmm. Hyena. Mm-hmm. Leopard. You have another conflict. This is where the problem has been going on now for decades. And land ownership of humans has expanded throughout most of Africa now, and that what that's done is push the animals into smaller and smaller res, uh, reservations. Now, you can't compact a park, a game park, with too many lions, because now, first of all, it becomes unhealthy, and there's way too many fights. Right. Lions need big areas to roam, just like elephants, just like hyenas, just like a lot of animals. So this is why the game parks, if, let's say if it's uh, five miles this way and ten miles this way, you can only have a certain number of those predators um, the prey in that game park. Anything more, you're overpopulated. Mm-hmm. And this is why the animals, they're shrinking. The population is getting smaller, and the human population and land encroachment is getting much bigger. Now, I'm just looking at the basic math, the basic charts from the 1950s until today, 2017. Mm-hmm. Imagine what another 30, 40 years is going to do. There's not much room left for these animals. No. And so this is why places like reserves and zoos are actually important. So because true. Because these animals need... These animals need a place to live, and they need people like myself who know what they're doing, how to take care of them, and understand the animals. And so anybody who is against zoos, they need to understand this education process. Right. And if they don't understand it, I'll see it in 50 years. Yes. Because then you will understand it. And it'd be too late. We call the zoos, the, the world-class zoos, modern arcs of hope for these animals that may be the last of their very kind on this earth. And as yeah. you said, it's a human problem. The humans have created this for our most incredibly special creatures uh, in wildlife. Brandon, I'm so glad you're so passionate about the sixth mass extinction. It's what keeps me up at night. And another thing that keeps me up at night is uh, the idea of service dogs for wounded warriors. And, you know, I think about this because of the 20 suicides a day for soldiers and warriors coming back facing PTS. And that isn't it an incredible opportunity to offer an alternative path to healing by providing these war heroes with a service dog therapy in the form of four legs and fur and a wagging tail. And you said something so interesting. Master trainers are needed and and you can't be self-taught. And I find, unfortunately, sometimes we have uh, training organizations out there in communities that are providing service dogs for wounded warriors that are self-taught and perhaps That's not the best way. I'd love your thoughts on that, the idea of a master trainer. 
again, when it comes to, look, service dogs are a whole, it's a, it's a whole nother level of training. It's not like basic obedience. These dogs have to sit by this person's side and be extremely obedient in, in public, whether there's dogs around them uh, barking at them. The dog has to always work for the person, for the handler, mm-hmm. no matter what the situation around them. And so this is why service dog trainers are, they're on another level. And I was blessed to learn in the movie industry that's how I acquired my skills to become a service dog trainer because if let me let me just tell you, if I was just your basic obedience trainer, I would fail at this industry so fast. I was lucky, I was blessed to learn. It's such a great industry. Movie training, it is it's the best of the best. You have to teach a dog high level tricks in a very short amount of time and you gotta make it look pretty on camera. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky to actually just make a, make an easy transition. But anybody who's, who's self-taught in the service dog world, I just urge you just to go learn off a, off a reputable trainer or organization where they've been doing it for a long time and they've, they've worked out all the kinks. Mm-hmm. Because, again, if you're self-taught, you have to remember, like I said before, if you're self-taught, that means the person you learn from knew nothing. And you're experimenting on dogs at this point. You're experimenting on dogs. You're, you're, you're teaching the dog as a guinea pig, and, oh, that one didn't work out. Well, let's see what else I can figure out next. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is go learn off somebody who's figured this stuff out decades ago, and guess what? Now you're training efficiently. Right. Now you're learning efficiently. I mean, I was so lucky to learn off trainers like that because I look back at my, my career when I was in my teenage years, and I was thinking to myself, God, this stuff's so easy. How come everyone doesn't do this? Well, I was trained correctly. Right. I was trained correctly. So, yeah, of course it was easy when you, when you get the techniques and the methods that you literally get from point A to point B, and not only the most humane, the quickest, but the most logical amount of time. Self-taught trainers, like I said, this is where I, I always have to put my foot down and say, you got to learn from somebody. And unfortunately, there's a lot of famous trainers out there who are, they claim to be self-taught. Mm-hmm. Well, again, the person you learn from knew nothing. Well, you know what I also have to say? Here you were training animals behind the scenes for the movie business and entertainment business for years. Did you ever think you would win an Emmy for Lucky Dog? (laughs) Isn't that wonderful in front of the camera? No. (laughs) That would definitely be a no. Yeah, Uh I never, first of all, I never thought that I would have a camera pointed at me training, Uh training dogs for a TV series. One thing led to another and that happened, but... um. To win an Emmy, it was a uh, look. It's it's just an honor. It's an honor. Honestly, the uh, the biggest reward, though, believe it or not, mm-hmm. I've got. Well, I've got. I've, I've actually got one Emmy for hosting, one one Emmy for the for the show. Those Emmys, look to me, I, I appreciate them. But the biggest reward to me is whenever I uh, I hear testimonials of people years later. They write me an email, you know, three, four, five years later, and they say. You have no idea what you did for me. You saved my life, whether they were battling depression, whether they were uh, suicidal. I mean, you name it. I Believe it or not, I've trained a lot of dogs for ex-drug addicts and alcoholics. Mm-hmm. And I get emails from them constantly saying, this dog saved my life. Without this dog, I would have fallen off the wagon again. I probably would have either killed myself or overdosed. Oh. Something as simple as that. Oh. And in dogs, what you don't realize is dogs teach you to be less selfish. Mm-hmm. Because now you have an animal in the house. And you have to understand that animal has to go outside. It has to eat. Mm-hmm. It has to be taken care of. It has to be groomed. Mm-hmm. So you learn slowly but surely to, you know, to take care of the animal more than uh, y- yourself. 
And let's face it, drug addicts and ex-alcoholics, they tend to be a little bit selfish. And animals are a really easy way. Once they're clean, once they're sober, it's a really easy way to teach them to stop being so selfish. I think animals make us better humans, don't they? Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, I learned something from each animal that I have. I learned a little bit about myself, you know. It's wonderful. I learned things about myself that I never knew. I would say animals are are the best therapists. Instead of paying 400 bucks an hour for a therapist, I just train a few dogs, and I'm like, wow, I never knew that about myself. (laughs) (laughs) That's wonderful. You just just saved me $3,000, Rafaito. (laughs) (laughs) That is great. That is great. We might be putting the therapist out of business with this this show today. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I could have a whole new career right there. That's exactly right. I love it. I love it. Well, Lucky Dog, an adorable, adorable series, Saturday mornings on CBS. Congratulations again on on Emmys and uh, so much grand success, Brandon. I mean, really, it's, it's such a privilege to know you, and I'm so glad you're out there for our animals and, and, most importantly, to teach us humans to be better. So thank you. Well, good. I'm happy to do it. I got a lot of years left in me, so you're not getting rid of me yet. We don't want to get rid of you. We want to clone you. So <laughs> so any final words for our listeners about loving animals? Oh, look, just if you're an animal lover, keep loving. If you're an animal trainer, keep training. And of course, uh, be sure to watch my show, Lucky Dog, every Saturday. <laughs> don't <laughs> that, miss that one. That's great. I think that's wonderful. Lucky Dog on CBS uh, Saturday mornings. Well, friends, if I know you've enjoyed this episode of Loving Animals with Brandon McMillan as much as I have. So much fun. And I wasn't at all expecting the six mass extinction conversation, Brandon, so I'm so glad we got that in there. Wonderful, very important. It's a moral and ethical dilemma for our times that we have to face and find solutions. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, of course. We'll talk more about it later. What an amazing episode hearing from animal trainer, animal behaviorist, author, and producer, Brandon McMillan. I think all of us can learn a little something from Brandon's tips on dealing with potentially unruly pets or are all of your family members, the furry ones, little angels. Learning to navigate our pet's behavior is so important as a pet owner. So a big thank you to Brandon for sharing his knowledge with us today. Join us next week for another episode of Loving Animals with me, Dr. Robin Gansert. And remember this week and every week, I'm Loving Animals and I hope you are too. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.